is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Dugout Club. I am your host, Jake Dicker, and I am very, very excited to be back bringing you guys a brand new episode. It has been a very long time since our last episode. I apologize for that. Things Life got very crazy. I went to school, um, but I'm back. I'm very excited, and the plan is to bring new episodes once a week on Fridays. That is the plan for now, at least until I go back to school. Once I get back there, the plan is still to go once a week but the day of the episode may have to change based on, you know, my class schedule and other things of that sort. But, you know, we're going to go we're going to go predominantly baseball now. That's that's a new change that I'm making to the podcast. Baseball is what I'm most passionate about. It's what I'm most knowledgeable about. You know, we may dip into football a little bit when it when it rolls around in September. But for now, going forward, we're going to do predominantly baseball. That is that's my passion. And I think it makes for a better show and it makes Makes for a better episode. So this episode is is special. It's our first one back. We got our first interview with Stanford starting third baseman Drew Bowser. That'll be thrown into the middle of the episode. Had a great time talking to him. I'm sure you guys will love love hearing that interview. But this episode is going to be my National League second half predictions. I'm going to look at every team's first half, see you know who's doing well, who's not, what I like, what I didn't like, and how I see their second half going, who I think needs to step up, who I think needs to make moves at the deadline, and kind of tell you guys where I think these divisions are going to end up and where these teams are going to fall in the standings at the end of the year, give my award predictions, which I don't know if they're going to be surprising to many because... I think there are two guys running away with these awards, um, the MVP and the Cy Young. The Rookie of the Year is a little bit more up for grabs, but I think that's kind of clear-cut as well. Um, but we're just going to jump jump right into it. We're going to start with the National League West, then go to the National League Central, and then I will throw in the interview with Drew that I'm very excited about. I had a great time talking to him. And then we'll finish after the interview with the NL East. So I'm going to start first with the National League West which has been potentially the best division in baseball. It has, you know, three of the most exciting teams around in the Dodgers and the Padres and the Giants, two of the more disappointing teams in baseball. Not disappointing, but just teams that aren't performing very well in the Rockies and the Diamondbacks. It's really a three three-team race right now. The Giants are, are, are currently the top of the division at 58 and 33. The Dodgers are 58 and 35. The Padres are 55 and 40. Rockies 40 and 53. Diamondbacks 26 and 68. Giants have the best record in baseball, which which nobody saw coming at all. They have a lot of guys that they took flyers on, specifically two, two starting pitchers, Kevin Gosman and Anthony Descalfani, that are really, really panning out. Uh, Kevin Gosman was an NL All-Star this year, nine and three with a 1.73 ERA, 0.82 WHIP. Um, he just just got scratched from a start and is potentially looking at a stint on the injured list. Not sure just how serious it is. If he goes down, that's a big blow to their rotation. Um, but they they have other guys that have stepped up. Desclafani is a 2.68 ERA with a one WHIP. They signed Alex Wood in the offseason. He's been good. Johnny Cueto's been good. Then you look at their offense, and you have guys that have guys that have been there forever that are having career years. You look at guys like Brandon Crawford, National League All Star, best offensive season of his career, leads the Giants in home runs, eighteen RBIs, fifty eight. Trails only Buster Posey in average. He's hitting uh, Crawford's hitting two eighty nine, 
Posey's the other guy that's basically just drinking from this fountain of youth that seems to be flowing in San Francisco. Posey, another NL All-Star, hitting 328, 12, uh, 12 home runs. He's walked 31 times, only struck out 44 times. It's his best all-around offensive season since his 2012 MVP season where he hit 336 with 24 home runs and 103 RBIs. He's currently on the IL with a thumb injury. They are looking forward to getting him back soon, but even he goes down, they bring in guys like Kurt Casale, who are just role players. That's excelling behind the dish for the Giants. They bring up guys like top prospect Joey Bart to catch. He's he, you know, he he's going to be great for them. They just seem to have guys that are filling all these holes. Then you look at their role players, they're excelling. Guys like Darren Ruff, Wilmer Flores, Donovan Solano. I haven't even mentioned Mike Yastrzemski, who might be, outside of Crawford and Posey, their best offensive threat. I don't know how long the Giants can sustain this because, I mean, they weren't looked at coming into the year as a threat at all, and now a lot of people have them as a playoff team that are that's potentially going to make a run at the World Series if they make the right moves at the deadline. To me, I don't know how sustainable it is because they have guys like Crawford and Posey that are having career years. Gosman really good just got hurt though if he goes down for a long period of time how does that affect their starting rotation um i just don't think all of these guys are going to keep it up for the entire year to the point where they're going to finish at the top of this very competitive division second place in the nl west the los angeles dodgers they have the second respect second best record in baseball at 57 and 35 they're a game back of the giants they have the lowest team era in baseball at 315 and that really seems to be their their strong suit is their pitching they started the year with a ton of starting pitching depth, but it is very, very quickly diminished. Dustin May went down early in the year with Tommy John surgery. Um, Clayton Kershaw is currently on the 10-day injury list with left forearm inflammation. He just said in an interview that a lot of people want to see him get back as quick as possible, but he's really looking forward to October and being healthy there, which is very understandable, but you got to think about how it's going to impact the rest of their regular season. Trevor Bauer was a huge offseason signing that everybody was, you know, very, very hyped about. He is currently being investigated for for sexual assault issues. I don't expect him to be back with the Dodgers at all, regardless of what, you know, the Pasadena City Police investigation finds, what the MLB investigation finds. I think it's too much of a distraction. I don't think he should be back on the field with anybody for for a long period of time, if if ever again. So he's gone. David Price has been in the bullpen. They're looking to ramp him back up to be a starter. Right now, their only real starters are Walker Bueller and Julio Arias. Um, they're looking to get got innings from guys like Tony Gonsolin, guys like David Price, as I mentioned. They need to make a move for a starting pitcher at the deadline, which they didn't think they were going to have to do. You know, they're looking at guys like Charlie Morton, who's on a one-year expiring deal with the Atlanta Braves. Guys that can come in, you know, they've been, they, they're the Dodgers, so they're linked to every big name. It's just a matter of how much of the farm Andrew Friedman wants to sell to win this year. The offense, you know, they've had guys on and off the injured list all year. Corey Seager's been out since May 15th, uh, broke his hand on a hit by pitch. He's expected to be back very soon. Cody Bellinger's been on and off the injured list all year. Even But even when he's been up, he's only hitting 179 with four home runs and 19 RBIs, not playing to the MVP form that we've been so used to seeing from him. Max Muncy, National League, uh, National League All-Star. Been on and off the IL, but still, he's leading the pretty much every National League first baseman offensive category. A.J. Pollock finally seems to be healthy. He's been on and off the I.L. Zach McKinstry's been on the I.L. Guys in their bullpen, Joe Kelly, Scott Alexander, 
uh, Corey Knebel have been on the IL. They've been very hurt, and they have still the second best record in baseball. If they can find a way to get healthy and make the right moves at the deadline for a, a starter, it doesn't necessarily need to be a frontline starter. Maybe, maybe a three that can you know just bolster that rotation. I, I see the Dodgers being very successful the rest of the year and in October. Third place in the NL West right now is the San Diego Padres, 54-40. and 40. They're five and a half games back of the Giants. They're potentially the most fun team to watch in baseball, and that's coming from a Dodger fan. I love watching the Padres play baseball. Um, it's just a star-sided lineup. you got Manny Machado, Fernando Tatis Jr., Drake Cronenworth, who's really taken that next step, uh, hitting 284 with 13 home runs, just hit for the cycle against the Washington Nationals. Fernando Tatis, is he the first half MVP of the National League? I think so, hitting 286 with 28 home runs and 62 RBIs. Manny Machado, another incredible year. Guys like Trent Grisham is starting to turn it on. Tommy Pham started very slow. He's starting to turn it around. If that lineup can really get going, again, they've been linked to guys at the trade deadline as well. Guys like Joey Gallo, who could just, you know, give that lineup some extra depth. They're another team that could make a run at the World Series. you got three teams in the NL West that are World Series contenders. The issue with the Padres has been their their starting rotation because they have the best bullpen ERA in baseball at 291. They're give, when they give up runs, it's coming from their starters. You Darvish, Joe Musgrove, they've been very good. Darvish, NL All-Star, 7-3 with a 309 ERA. Joe Musgrove threw a no-hitter earlier this year. It's a single-game accomplishment, but it's still something you look at. 293 ERA. You look at guys that are supposed to lengthen that rotation. Chris Paddock, Blake Snell, they've been atrocious. Blake Snell has an ERA hovering around five. Paddock's is about five and a half. Uh, Denelson Lamette has only thrown 34 and a third innings this year. He's been on and off the IL, and his return timeline is pretty unclear. So if they can get him back, that bolsters the rotation. If they can get at least one of Snell or Paddock kind of just back on track where they're their ERA is somewhere between three and three and a half and not between five and five and a half. That'll really help because if you get five, five, six innings out of your starter of two run ball, you can hand it over to the bullpen. You got the lowest, lowest bullpen ERA in baseball. So then you're in pretty good hands. So I think if they can get all those things going, it's another team that could make a run at, at uh, the world series in October, the Rockies and the diamondbacks just completely irrelevant in this division to be honest with you the Rockies are the potentially the weirdest team in baseball they're great at home in Coors Field they're 31 and 19 on the road they're a completely different team they're 9 and 34 on the road so that overall they're 40 and uh, 53 but they're 31 and 19 at home it, it doesn't make a lot of sense I don't know why it's going on nobody really does but you just can't you can't compete when you're that when you're that bad on the road you're that far under 500 they're going to be sellers at the deadline i expect them to trade trevor story they could trade other guys that have been there for a long time um charlie blackman if someone gives them the right offer but they need they need to get rid of guys and bolster that farm system and and hope that they can be somewhat competitive in the future the diamondbacks are the only team worse in the national league than the rockies they're the worst team in baseball at 26 in 68. Cattell Marte missed a large chunk of the first half. Eduardo Escobar is good as gone. He's going to be traded at the deadline. I am almost, almost certain of it. Their starting pitching has been pretty atrocious. They have one starter, Merrill Kelly, who's eclipsed 100 innings. Uh, Madison Bumgarner is ERA around five and a half. Merrill Kelly around four and a half. Caleb Smith, four and a half. Zach Gallen, who some people had as a, a, a dark horse Cy Young ca- uh, candidate coming into the year. 
386, that's not going to get it done necessarily if you're looking at someone to, to front your rotation. Just not been a good year for the Diamondbacks as well as the Rockies. So it's really a three-horse race in the NL West. My season final standings prediction, where I think this division is going to fall at the end of the year. I have the Dodgers winning the division. If they can get healthy, get everybody back on track, and make the right moves at the deadline, I don't think they'll have an issue winning this division. They, they have the second-best record in baseball with no Corey Seager, guys on and off the IL. If they can get everybody healthy, they'll be fine. Second, I have the San Diego Padres. I think that they're just they're getting hot. I mean, at the right time, they struggled at the, the beginning of the year. They've been much better as of late. If they can continue to stay hot, I think that they'll be okay. In third place, I have the San Francisco Giants, who are currently in first place. I just don't think that they're going to be able to sustain this for an entire year. Some people call me crazy that tell me that they've done it for one half of the year. There's no reason they can't do it for two full halves. If they can, great for them. I just don't. It takes one injury, one guy to go down for, I think, the Giants to just kind of spiral a little bit. I still think they're going to make the playoffs. I just don't see them winning this division. And then I have the Rockies in fourth and the Diamondbacks in fifth place. That wraps up the NL West. We're going to jump right into the NL Central. Standings in the NL Central currently look like this. Brewers at the top, 56-39. and 39. Cincinnati Reds, seven games back of the, of the Brewers, 48-45. and 45. Cubs 46 and 46, right at 500, eight and a half games back. Cardinals 45 and 47, nine and a half games back. And the Pittsburgh Pirates just completely out of the race, 36 and 57, 19 games back of the Milwaukee Brewers. The Milwaukee Brewers, it's 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 all about their pitching. Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, Freddie Peralta, Josh Hader, all National League All Stars. They have what I consider the best one, two, three in baseball this year, which is something that Brewers fans. I've been unable to say about their club for a very long time. The thing with the Brewers has always been, you know, you look at their 2018 NLCS team where they lost in seven games to the Dodgers. You know, they had the hitting. They just didn't have the pitching. They were starting guys in that series like Julius Chassin, Wade Miley, who's been pretty good this year for Cincinnati, but wasn't the same guy um, in 2018. You know, Brandon Woodruff was really young. Corbin Burns was coming out of the bullpen. He wasn't bolstered up to be a starter yet. The thing with the Brewers is they've always had the offense. They've never had the pitching, but now they finally have the pitching. The offense is is very meh. So if they can go out and get the right pieces offensively at the deadline, they're going to be in really good shape to run away with this division. Corbin Burns is a number one on most staffs. I think he's the two on this staff. I think that Woodruff is the one. And Peralta on pretty much any staff you look at in the National, not in the National League, in baseball, maybe outside of team like the Dodgers or the Padres. He's a two on every staff. He's a three on this staff. Uh, Woodruff's seven and four with a 2.06 ERA, a .82 WHIP, and a 10.2 Ks per nine. Burns started the year incredibly hot. He's cooled off a little bit. Still has an incredible 2.36 ERA with a .91 WHIP and an astonishing 13.1 Ks per nine. Freddie Peralta, who's kind of just been a bullpen guy his entire career, guy that really wanted to be a starter, but there wasn't room for him, so they threw him in the bullpen for kind of a, a long relief guy. He's seven and three with a 2.39 ERA. Uh, 12.4 Ks per night. So they have three guys at the top of their rotation with sub 2.5 ERAs. In a, in a, you know, in an NLDS where you're playing a, five, a best of five, you got to win three games. You throw those three guys out there, you're 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 in great shape. Same with a best of seven series. You got two. You got you can get six starts out of those guys. If you have to go seven games, you're looking really good. You know, their their offense hasn't been incredible. 
Christian Yelich is having a down year, hitting 236 with five home runs. They acquired Willie Adamas midseason from the Tampa Bay Rays. He's been incredible for them, hitting 299 with 10 home runs, 34 RBIs, and a 939 OPS. You know, Col- Colton Wong's been really solid when he's healthy. He's just unable to stay to stay healthy. Jackie Bradley Jr. has been disappointing, 171. If they can get guys like Christian Yelich going, if they can get guys like Keston Hira going, Jackie Bradley Jr. going, um, I haven't even mentioned, obviously, C.L. Garcia, who's been really good for them offensively. If they can get some of these bats going and just score a little, score, score some more runs more frequently, they'll be fine. They need to make a trade for some offense at the trade deadline because I don't want to see a year where you have three aces at the top of your rotation go to waste. I do think they're going to hold on to the vision. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, they have a sizable lead in the division, seven games as of now. I don't see that dwindling all the way down to the point where they'll lose the division outright. They may It may dwindle down from seven, but I don't see it clo- the gap closing the entire way. Second place in the NL Central right now is the Cincinnati Reds. Their offense is headed by this two-headed monster of Jesse Winker and Nick Castellanos, both all-star starters for the National League. Castellanos hitting 330 with a 968 OPS. He's hit 18 home runs, drove in 59 runs. Jesse Winker hitting 297, which is a little bit down from where he was earlier in the year, but two, no one's ever going to no one is ever going to complain about 297. 19 home runs, 50 RBIs. They're really driving the offense, but then you're getting you're getting production from guys like Tyler Naquin, who hit 13 home runs in the first half. Getting production from rookies like Jonathan India and Tyler Stevenson. India's hitting 272 with six home runs and 35 RBIs. And if it wasn't for Trevor Rogers, would probably be the National League Rookie of the Year favorite. Tyler Stevenson, who's splitting time behind the dish with Tucker Barnhart, hitting 282 with five home runs, 22 RBIs. Tucker Barnhart. Hitting 272, you're getting you're getting around a 276 average from your catching spot, which is incredible. You know most guys are back there to play defense, and if they have a bat, great. But you know their main their main job behind the dish is to play defense. These guys are playing defense. Tucker Barnhart's a Gold Glove catcher and and producing offensively at the plate. They're still missing Mike Mustakis, who's been on the IL for a good period of time. If they can get him back and get going, that'd be great. Luis Castillo. Has a 4.65 ERA. It sounds bad, but it's he's been very, very good as of late. As of his last nine starts, he's draft he's dropped his ERA from a 7.22 to a 4.65. So if he can continue to trend in that direction, it'll be very, very good for the Cincinnati Reds. Wade Miley, who I mentioned wasn't great in 2018 with the Brewers, has been really good with has a 2.8 ERA for the Reds this year. He's kind of been the unsung hero of that rotation. Sonny Gray has a 3-1-9, 11.6Ks per nine. He's only thrown 62 innings. He missed practically all of June, but it's been very, very good for them over the last couple of years. If he can get going, if Castillo can stay hot, if Miley can continue producing the way he's been producing, their 1-2-3 is really good. It's not to, up to the same caliber of the Milwaukee Brewers, but it's still really, really solid. And I think that it could help them make a push towards the, uh, the NL wildcard. So the, the bullpen's been really bad. 529 bullpen ERA, 27th in the MLB, only ahead of Detroit, Colorado, and Arizona, who are three of the worst teams in baseball. The the bullpen's really got to be Cincinnati's main focus at the trade deadline because you know they lost Archie Bradley in the offseason and that, you know, he threw a lot of high leverage innings last year for Cincinnati. It's handed it off to guys like Amir Garrett and Sean Doolittle, who have been, you know, acting as their two eighth inning, ninth inning relievers. They're both left-handed. Michael Lorenzen, who threw a lot of innings for them last year, has been on the IL pretty much all year. Just came back and is going to go right back on the IL. You know, he's looking to avoid an IL stint, but it, he's hurt again. It's not It's not very good for them. 
that's got to be their main focus if they want any shot at the NL wild card. I think that they have a pretty decent chance to get there because the offense has started to ramp up. The bo- the starting rotation has started to to ramp up a little bit. So if they can get all those things going at the same time, they'll be all right. I think they'll make a push to the NL wild card. The Chicago Cubs are at third place in the National League Central, currently sitting at 46 and 46, right at 500. And it's time for them to sell at the deadline. They they aren't going to contend this year. They just lost 11 games in a row after throwing a combined no-hitter against the Los Angeles Dodgers, which set them seven and a half games back of the Brewers in the division. They already traded Jock Peterson. There have been you know pretty, pretty loud trade rumors about getting rid of Chris Bryant. I think that they're also going to get rid of guys like Craig Kimbrell, Anthony Rizzo, Javier Baez, who are all on expiring deals. Rizzo and Baez having disappointing years, both hitting below 250. They don't have a single everyday player in their lineup hitting above 270. I think it's just time to blow up this core. I know it's going to be tough considering they ended their World Series drought. They won the World Series in 2016. Chicago loves them. But you got you got to think long term. Joe Madden was the manager of that team. He's gone. He's out in Anaheim coaching the Angels. Theo Epstein was running that front office. He's gone. I think it's just time to blow up the product that's on the field. They're going to trade Bryant. They're going to trade Kimbrel. And I think if you're going to blow it up at all, it's time to just blow it up entirely. These guys are all expiring free agents at the end of the year. And if you don't see a chance to either sign them to an extension before that before the end of the year or re-sign them in free agency, you might as well get something back for them opposed to losing them for nothing, especially when your farm system is very middle of the pack, like the Cubs farm system is. You can get rid of these guys, you know, bring in some prospects that could potentially help you later in, a, in you know, in three, four years. If they do, great. If they don't, you know, at least you gave yourself the shot opposed to losing them for nothing. The starting pitching for the Cubs has also been really mediocre this year. Kyle Hendricks is a 3.65 ERA. Zach Davies, 4.37 ERA. Adbert Alzale has a 4.59 ERA. Jake Arrieta has a 6.3 ERA. The Cubs aren't going to contend this year, unfortunately. You know, it's always good for baseball when the Cubs are good and the Cubs are contending. But I don't I don't see it for the Cubs this year. I think it's time for them to blow it up and, and move on. Cincinnati, uh, not Cincinnati, excuse me. The St. Louis Cardinals, 45 and 47, nine games back of the Brewers in the division potentially the most disappointing National League team of the first half. You know, they trade for Nolan Arenado in the offseason, and people think that the Cardinals are going to make a push, and they just haven't. Arenado hitting 261, Tom, Tommy Edmund hitting 255, Dylan Carlson, a, a promising rookie that just kind of hasn't lived up to the expectations put on him, hitting 254, Yadier Molina hitting 253. You know, the two bright spots of the Cardinals offense have been Paul Goldschmidt, who's hitting 270, doing Paul Goldschmidt type things, and Tyler O'Neill, who's hitting 277, hit 16 home runs and 38 RBIs. Where it went bad or went wrong, I guess you could say, for the Cardinals is the starting rotation. Jack Flaherty goes down, gets hurt, swinging a bat of all things, which makes it even harder to swallow for Cardinals fans, considering it wasn't even something that he did pitching. Carlos Martinez been atrocious. His ERA is above six. Uh, Adam Wainwright potentially been the most durable starter in Flaherty's absence. He has a 3.71 ERA and a 1.15 whip, which are good numbers for Adam Wainwright if he's your four, but not when he's acting as your two. Um, you know, for Adam Wainwright, they're good numbers, but not when you need him to be you know, the ace of your staff. Uh, Kwon Hyung Kim has been really, really good in his last couple starts. Left-handed starter for the uh, St. Louis Cardinals. Is a 2.87 RA. He's been pretty good. I think they need to get Flaherty back, bolster that rotation, and make a push towards, you know, a wild card spot. It might just be a little bit too late for this year for them to do that, considering the disappointing first half that they've had. 
Fifth place in the National League Central at 36 and 57 is the Pittsburgh Pirates. They're 19 games out of first place in the National League Central. And they're outside of their, they had two all-star game starters, Adam Frazier and Brian Reynolds. But outside of those two guys, it's been it's been a terrible year for Pittsburgh. There's not even much, you know, worth talking about with them. They're they're not going to win the division. They're not going to compete for a wild wild card spot. If they want to blow it up, there's not even much to blow up. But you want to get rid of guys like Frazier and Reynolds, get some pieces back. You can. I think Frazier is more likely to be moved than Reynolds. But that that's about all I have on the on the Pittsburgh Pirates. My season final standings prediction for the National League Central. I have the Milwaukee Brewers finishing in first place. I think the starting pitching is good enough to the point where they will hold on regardless of what the offense does and win that division. Second place, I have the Cincinnati Reds. Third place, I have the Cardinals jumping the Cubs because I think the Cubs are just going to blow it up. I have the Cubs coming in fourth and the Pirates coming in fifth place. So that's it for the first two divisions, the National League West and the National League Central. I am now going to give you guys the interview I did with Stanford starting third baseman, longtime friend of mine, Drew Bowser. We sat down, had a good conversation. Very excited for you guys to hear it. Here it goes. All right, we are here with Stanford starting third baseman, Drew Bowser. Drew, thank you for taking the time. Thank you. How, how has your summer been? Good. Uh, you know, I got, got to the Cape about two weeks ago. Been playing every day. Um, weather's been okay. Had a couple of rainouts, but besides that, uh, it's been amazing. How much time off did you take between the end of your your year in Omaha and then going out to the Cape? Uh, about a week. About a week. So I went from Omaha back home about six days, and then on that seventh day, I got on the plane, came out here. That's awesome. All right, I want to just jump right into it. So you, you forewent the MLB draft out of high school, which I know is definitely an option for you. Um, you know, I, I've known you for a very long time. I know Stanford was always something that was on your radar and something you wanted to do. Um, so what, what was, what went through your mind after high school? I, I mean, I know your senior year, your junior year, you did a lot of, a lot of prospect stuff, a lot of showcase stuff. They're definitely uh, scouts teams in your ear. Um, what kind of led you towards, Stanford opposed to seeing where you could go in the draft and going that route. Right. So, I mean, Stanford has always been my dream school. Um, you know, you know me as a kid, uh, even as a kid, I was always wearing Stanford gear and my mom went there and, you know, even though my mom went there is definitely my decision. Um, both my parents left it up to me. They were cool with whatever I chose to do. Um, so eventually I committed there and, you know, that, that senior year was interesting because it wasn't like I was fully just not entertaining the draft. Um, you know, I got to have some really good conversations with, with some teams and went through that whole process. But at the end of the day, we were going through it and getting close to the draft. I was like, you know, what? I can't possibly pass up going to Stanford. Like, everything about it to me is perfect you know the academics the athletics the baseball team so you know getting the opportunity to go to the best school in the world I can't I couldn't pass that up yeah I know I know like growing up a lot of kids are like oh we want to play you think of the big stages like Little League World Series as a young kid then you think about playing the MLB whatever was playing like getting to Omaha and playing on that stage something you really ever thought about or was that was that a determining yeah. factor at all it was crazy to me because like um 
think we were 13. Um, we went to a tournament. So there are some like travel ball tournaments that happen also during the college world series. So um, my travel ball team went out there, uh, you know, we like play our game in the morning and then come back, hang out and then go to the games later. So, you know, going to that in a, at a young age and seeing like Dansby Swanson play like right after he got drafted number one. And then, you know, finally getting there my freshman year. And it's like that first like national anthem and they had the fly over with the players. It was like, this is like, I, like, I, I don't want to say I almost got like emotional, but it was like, damn. Like, no, I mean, it's very, it's very understandable. It's, it's crazy. Like I'm actually like, not only am I here, like I'm on the field playing, like people are coming to watch us play. Yeah. I'm for, for those of you who are listening that don't know, Drew and I played together from the time we were what seven until we were 12 and have played against each other in high school or whatever, seeing you on ESPN and hearing these guys talk about you and then them panning to your family. It, it was, it was a very, for us here, it was a very surreal experience. I can't even imagine what it was like for you. Um, can you just go into that, that week for me and just detail it and how crazy it was? Right. So we, even before that week, so we went to Texas Tech to play our Super Regional. And, you know, I feel like everyone has their own expectations. And I'm, everybody on our team went in going, yeah, we're going to beat them. We're going to move on. But we definitely thought as well, like, this is going to be one of the most challenging weekends. You're playing know? a good team. Texas Tech is good. We're playing at their place. Like, this is not probably, but there's a good chance this goes all three games. Right. You know, super regional, the best of three for those, those who aren't aware. So we get in there and it just, it all happens. You guys did your thing. We were hitting, like pitching well. Um, Our one and two just absolutely shoved and, it just the weekend just went like that. Like it was over. We were like, okay, we're going to Omaha. Like that was not easy, but it just, it happened like a blink of an eye. So um, we get back, we have a couple of days of practice. Um, and then we get on that plane and we arrive and it's like police escort to the hotel, like <laughs> all that kind of stuff. And it's just, it's crazy. Like people, you know, you get to that town and it's like, you know, there's not, there was actually, there was a USA swim competition going on, which is also big, but you know, there's like a good amount of people there that are like, yeah, literally just there to watch. It's like when the, it's like when the circus comes into town, when, when the college world series rolls back around in Omaha, everything else kind of stops. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but yeah, that was so did you one. guys, you guys came back from Texas, you came back to, to California and then flew from California to Omaha. Right. Yeah. That's we came how. home for, I say it was like three days. I know, I know you didn't have the the team success necessarily that you guys wanted to in Omaha, but you, I think you, I mean, you had a pretty good tournament. You went six for 13, two doubles. Yeah. Um, But even, I mean, even as far as team success, like, you know, it didn't end how we wanted it to go, but, you know, I think just having a lot of young guys in that lineup, being able to perform on a big stage and even like, after everything we went through to get all the way there and, you know, a lot of people counting us out and, you know, the beginning you're like, people just 
not thinking anything of us, like, you know, we kind of just proved them wrong. Is it, is it fair to say that your freshman year at Stanford was the, the craziest year of baseball you've ever played playing through a pandemic? One of the craziest, but also one of the most fun. Um, yeah. I think this is a big reason why we made it to Omaha is that I feel like the team chemistry we had this year was probably the best team chemistry I've ever had on a team. Like all the guys going through the same stuff, getting tested three times a week, um, having to deal with wearing masks and distancing in the dugout. And, you know, we got shut down at one point because we had a, a couple of positives. We got shut down for a week and having to come back from that and, you know, get right back into it and all that kind of stuff. And also not having a fall. Like we literally, or me personally, because some guys were there in the fall, but some weren't. But people like me, like we showed up three or four weeks before season started. And it was like, you haven't played since high school, but here we go. Yeah, uh, with, with like the protocols in place, what did your day-to-day look like, like at home and on the road? Like how flexible were you guys able to be on the road with like, it was it just like uh, to the field and back to the hotel or what was it like? I mean, kind of, yeah. Um, you know, when you travel, it was like get up, team breakfast, but it's like, go downstairs, pick it up and bring it back to your room. Everyone had their own separate rooms. Um, so yeah, eating there, you know, get on the bus, have your mask, get to the field, play a game and all that. And then it was like, come back, get your food in your hotel room and like tea dinner, but just grab your stuff and get back up to your room. Yeah, exactly. We didn't have a, we didn't have an actual like team meal in, I guess, you know, the hotels have like the ballrooms, like the dining right. room. Right, right, right. Um, until the Super Regional. Wow. That's yeah. A long time. But that's, you know, that's Texas, so. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you throughout high school and whatever got to do a lot of very cool baseball experiences. I want you to rank them for me if you can. I'm going to give you four, okay? Right. So – Team USA, I'll give you the four. Just put them in order. Yeah. Team USA, U18 team. PDP, which for those of you who don't know, is the MLB Prospect Development po- uh, Pipeline, which I believe now is in North Carolina, their USA training complex. But when you did it, it was at IMG Academy. Is, is that right? Yeah. Um, and you got to do some very cool things there. Um, perfect game All-America weekend. Right. And then playing in the all-star game in Cleveland after PDP and Omaha and Omaha. So five, I assume Omaha is going to be at the top of that list. Man, The perfect game weekend was a really good weekend for you. Yeah. You won the home, you won the home run derby event. Then you won the MVP of the game. Not to mention, you're also the top fundraiser for the Children's Hospital down in San Diego, over $15,000. That's a tough one. I got Omaha at the top. Okay. That's very, very understandable. This whole year of baseball has been so fun. And then just getting all the way there was crazy. But I think number two, I got to go with, I think USA. Okay. Tell me, a, tell me a little bit about that. Cause I don't know a lot about that for you. I mean, I know, I know obviously you guys went. You made so, okay. So USA happened right after 
all the perfect game stuff and won the home run derby in the game uh, MVP. So that was that was great. I get to USA Trials and I don't play great. Um, I don't play horrible, but not like I wasn't hitting like I was like the past two weeks before that. Right. Because, um, you know, I played area codes too before that and I got all tournament team there. Or they call it a tournament. I don't know. That was that was right before the perfect game weekend, right? Right. Right. Yeah, that was, that was I was feeling for super, you. super hot and then got I mean, there. As, and you, I, as, as you should. Right. I played like, okay. Um, so some people know this. Some people don't. I originally did not, not make the USA team. So. Okay. Yeah. So I, after trials, they sat us all down. They announced the team, whatever. Me and other guys like said, bye. What's up? Like no hard feelings. Like, you know, if you don't make a USA team, like it's like not a big deal. Like you were at the trials, you're considered in their eyes. Right. It's, it's a group of incredibly talented people. Um, so I came home for a couple of days, just chill. I was like, okay, this is finally when I'm going to shut down. And I'm just like hanging out with my dad. You had been going full time. speed for, for right. a good couple of months at that point. And then the, the GM of the team or the director <laughs> texts me and he goes, um, nothing for sure yet. We just had a player go down. Can you get a flight to Taiwan or get on a flight to Taiwan tomorrow morning at 7 a.m.? I was like, <laughs> so I go to my dad. I'm like, I need to like go hit somewhere. Like I need to go to Harvard West, like in the cage, like go hit right now. Cause like if I have to go get on a flight, like I haven't done anything right. in days. You were in, you were uh, in chill mode. Yeah. So it was, it all ended up working out. They call, they called me at like, I want to say like 11 PM at night after they text me at like probably like four. So I was waiting for seven hours to see like, okay, am I going? Am I not going? And they called me like, yeah. Um, the guy got injured, like, you got to take him off the team. So, if we're going to step up, I'm like, of course. Like, I'm not going to say yeah. no. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that, that's definitely my number two just because I got to, you know, go from playing my best baseball to – it wasn't really, a, like, a super low point because it's wasn't a huge deal that I didn't make the team. And, you know, it was a little disappointing. Um, and, you know, just staying ready and when they call me, I'm ready to go and – First time out of the country, you get to go to Taiwan and South Korea and, you know, play against Korea in Korea. So you get like the whole atmosphere and everything. So that was, that was crazy. But, uh, so, so Omaha won USA two. Perfect. So we've game. got, we've got perfect game, PDP and Cleveland. Perfect game was number three. Okay. Awesome weekend, of course. And then I got, I got PDP at four, Cleveland at five. Because Cleveland was more of a result of PDP, right? Right, right. Can you, can you go into PDP and just kind of explain that whole how – long, how long was that? So PDP was about a month. Because I think now it's only like a week. Yeah, PDP was a month, and that was – And you were surrounded by a lot of – I mean, not just guys your age, but like big league guys that have been there and done it all, and I'm sure oh, yeah. you got a – I'm sure guy. you got more – guidance and wisdom and than you could have ever imagined in that month right yeah big league guys and um 
now big leaguers, kids who signed, um, you know, like Andy Pettit was there coaching my team for like a couple weeks. So that was cool just to be around him. Who, who um, else was out there with you guys? You know, like Jeter came for a day, Ryan Howard, uh, Chipper Jones came for a couple days, Barry Larkin. So that must, have been, that must have been incredible for you guys. Super Can't awesome. even imagine. I think that was the first time for them doing that, so that was so cool. But uh, yeah, pretty much that was a month long, and you know, um, games every weekend, uh, practices every day. Florida, it's hot, it's humid, so it was a little bit of a grind. But um, did you yeah. guys get to a certain point where you were just like, "All right, we're ready to get out of here." Um, there wasn't a point where we're like, we're ready to get out of here, you know, especially facing like a lot of good pitching. Like you had those days where you didn't hit well a couple games in a row and you're like tired and you're just like, ugh, like this sucks. But then it's like, you know, at first you kind of thought it would suck, but once you, like, I kind of thought, um, you know, after a couple of days, I was like, damn, like, I'm having a tough time. Like, I'm not hitting well. But then, like, once I, like, stepped back from PDP and we left, I was like, it's actually really fun. Because, like, even after, like, a bad day, like, we came back to the dorms and we all just, like, hang out and right. do whatever. It's like, it's like glorified summer camp. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then, like, like you just form friendships that, um, you know, will last a lifetime. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, so I'm sure looking back on it, you don't, you don't regret the, the choice to go to Stanford in, in any way whatsoever. Not at all. No. Very, very glad to hear that. Very glad to hear. Well, I thank you for taking the time and jumping on with me to talk about, uh, talk about your experiences and in your year and wish you the best of luck going forward. And I'm sure, I'm sure I'll be seeing you soon. Thank you. Appreciate awesome. you. Awesome. Thanks, dude. Thanks. Thank you very, very much to Drew Bowser for sitting down with me and conducting that interview. I hope you guys enjoyed listening. If you guys want to follow Drew on social media, you can find him on Instagram at Drew Bowser with two R's in his last name or on Twitter at DreezyDoesIt2. That's D-R-E-E-Z-Y does it with the number two. One, one thing I want to correct really quickly before we jump into the National League East is about the San Francisco Giants. Earlier, I had mentioned that Kevin Gosman was scratched from a start coming out of the All-Star break and was hoping to avoid an IL stint. Kevin Gosman was scratched from a start, but that was due to him being placed on the family medical emergency list, which is something that you never want to hear for anybody. But just from a team perspective, he's not going to miss any, any extended time. He's supposed to make a start this week against the Los Angeles Dodgers. So at least for now, the Giants are avoiding that major injury that could derail their entire season that I spoke about. However, that doesn't change anything for me and my predictions. I still have the Giants falling a little bit in the standings because they're just competing with two incredible teams in the Dodgers and the Padres and competing for a wild card spot coming in third place in the NL West. Our final division is the NL East, which is the tightest division by far in baseball. The fifth place Marlins are eight games back of the first place Mets and every other division in baseball, including the American League West, Central, and East. The last place team is at least eight game, 18 games back of the first place team. So the Marlins being only eight games back, you know, the, the 
the gap between the top and the bottom of this division is much closer than anywhere else in baseball. It's a lot of everyone just kind of beating up on each other. The Mets are at the top. They're hovering around 500, 47, and 45. And this division is just going to come down to who's the healthiest and who makes the biggest moves at the trade deadline. And when it comes to health, the Mets just took a major blow. They lost their their stud shortstop that they traded for and then signed to an extension, Francisco Lindor, to an oblique injury, and he'll be out anywhere from four to eight weeks they're hoping it's on, obviously, on the four the four week end of that, but oblique injuries tend to linger even if he's back right away or not right away, but at the beginning of that timetable, you know, he could he could go back on the IL. You just oblique injuries suck. Um, they happen a lot when swinging a bat and tend to linger. Lindor not having a huge Lindor type year, but he's started to heat up a little bit. He's only hitting 228 with 11 home runs and 36 RBIs, but it's a presence in your lineup that lengthens your lineup. It gives your lineup some depth. Never want to lose that. Never want to see anybody get hurt. But this team is really being carried by their pitching. They have a 3-4-4 team ERA, which is the best in baseball behind the Dodgers, the Giants, and the Marlins. It starts with Jacob deGrom. No one's surprised about that. 1.08 ERA, 14.3 Ks per nine. Having, you know, he's undoubtedly the best starting pitcher of the last five years in baseball and he's just going out there every five day every five days and making sure that people know that he is makes major league hitters look like they've never picked up a bat before it is the most incredible thing i've ever seen he is running away with the national league cy young award some people have him listed as an nl mvp candidate as as early as you know some people have him winning it some people have him coming in second place um, he just went on the IL today with forearm tightness, which is going to hurt his MVP case. I don't think it's going to hurt his Cy Young case. The numbers he's putting up are way too good for anyone else to surpass him unless he suffers a major, major injury that shuts him down where he just doesn't have enough innings to win the award. From a team perspective, the Mets, you never want to see your ace go down ever, but they have enough starting pitching in that rotation where if they can pick up the, pick up the offense a little bit, I don't think they'll falter that that much. You know, you got Marcus Stroman and Taiwan Walker as the 2-3 behind DeGrom in their rotation. Taiwan Walker, they took a flyer on him. No really, Nobody really wanted to sign him. He was an all-star this year. 2-5 ERA. Opponents are hitting 194 against him. Marcus Stroman, very solid. 2.79 ERA. The starting rotation for the Mets has been really solid. You know, even losing a guy like Syndergaard who hasn't thrown all year because of injury. Steven Matz is now with the Blue Jays. But the, ro- the rotation's been very, very solid. The Mets have a lot of really great offensive talent that are just kind of coasting along right now. No one's producing at a ridiculously high level. It's very, you know, average right now. It's just kind of who's going to step up on that given night. No one's consistently putting up big numbers. They need three to four guys to kind of take the next step and start hitting like they were, you know, one, two years ago. And the Mets will be in really, really good shape. They're already at the top of this division and they haven't yet hit their stride. Jeff McNeil, Peter Alonzo, Dom Smith, Michael Conforto. These are guys that I'm talking about. McNeil's hitting 257, three home runs, 55 uh uh, 15 RBIs, excuse me, only played in 55 games. Same with Michael Conforto, only played in 55 games, hitting 206 with a, with three home runs and 19 RBIs. Those are two guys that have been very productive for them the last couple of years. If they get going, the Mets will be in good shape. Pete Alonso just won his second consecutive home run derby, hitting 252 with 17 home runs, 49 RBIs. That's all you're really going to get out of Pete Alonso. He's never going to be a guy that's going to hit you, you know, 310, 315. He's always going to hit around that 250, 260, but he's going to hit, he, the power numbers are going to be there. 
there. And again, this year they are. Dom Smith, 248, nine home runs, 37 RBIs. If he can get up to, you know, 270, 275, they'll be in very good shape. They are contenders at the trade deadline to make a big move, especially with a guy like like Lindor going down. If they want to go out and look at a potential, you know, shortstop replacement, they could do that. They just got J.D. Davis back, who's been on the IL pretty much most of the year. He'll be very productive for them. Brandon Nimmo. You know, at the top of that lineup, if he gets going, they just need three or four out of their seven, eight guys to really get going, and the Mets will be in very good shape. Second place in the NL East right now is the Philadelphia Phillies. The Phillies start hot every year, and then they fall off, and unfortunately, that's kind of where I see this headed again. The top, you know, they got the top of their order is is really really good. Gene Segura, Bryce Harper, JT Realmuto. Bryce is hitting 283, Realmuto hitting 269, Gene Segura hitting 318, but then after that it falls off quick. Reese Hoskins, Andrew McCutcheon, Alec Baum, Didi Gregorius have all been very disappointing. Uh, Hoskins hitting 232, McCutcheon hitting 227, Bohm hitting 243, Gregorius hitting 219. At least for, you know, Hoskins and McCutcheon, the power numbers have been there, so you can kind of you can kind of live with the average being a little bit lower. Hoskins, 20 home runs and 55 RBIs in the first half. Um, McCutcheon, 15 home runs and 48 RBIs. So at least with Hoskins and McCutcheon, you can you can live with the average being a little bit lower because you're getting the home run production. Baum and Gregorius, you can't really say the same. They're getting productions from guys like Brad Miller and Travis Jankowski and Ronald Torres, but these are guys that aren't aren't going to put up big numbers throughout the year. They need to make a move for a bat at the deadline and get guys like Gregorius going and get guys like Alec Bohm going. Their bullpen has been atrocious, 4.65 bullpen ERA, which is 22nd in the MLB. They need to get a bullpen arm or two if they want any chance to compete at this division. Their, their rotation's been really good at the top, with Zach Wheeler, and then it, it kind of falls off quickly, just like their lineup. Zach Wheeler has been phenomenal, having a career year, 2.26 ERA, 145 strikeouts, third best in baseball, a .97 whip. The thing with Zach and Zach Wheeler in in New York with the Mets was he was always this potential guy that had great stuff, and if he just figures it out, he'll be able to put it all together. Well, he's figured it out. You know, he's finally figured it out in Philly, and he's having that career year that everybody was looking for from him. And when they signed him, they were just looking for him to be a number two behind Aaron Nola. And he's very, very quickly become the one, partially due to his incredible performance, but also a lot to do with the fact that Nola has fallen off. His ERA this year is above 4.5, which is not going to get it done. They need him to get going. They've been getting innings from guys like Zach Eflin and Vince Velasquez, who've been very hit and miss. They need they need Nola to get going so they can have a, very, a dominant one-two at the top of that rotation. And then, you know, they're always in always in the market to trade for a starter. Third place in the NL East is the Atlanta Braves, who my, were my preseason uh, pick to win this division. They're, they started slow. They looked like they were starting to figure it out. And then Ronald Acuna Jr. goes down, tears his ACL, and is out for the year. That puts them in a very weird spot because they lose him. They're in third place in the division. They're not necessarily going to contend for a World Series this year if they don't pick it up immediately. But they also got a lot of young pieces where it doesn't make sense for them to become sellers at the deadline and blow it up because their window is still very open and Acuna Jr. will be back in a year and they could contend for a World Series next year and for years to come after that. So it kind of puts them in a weird spot at the trade deadline where I could see them necessarily not trading guys that are on long-term deals, but trading guys like Charlie Morton who are on expiring deals and getting pieces that could help them in, in two years. 
Um, they, they have their studs. Freddie Freeman, all-star. Ozzie Albies, all-star. Austin Riley having an incredible breakout year at the plate. They just traded for Jock Peterson, who's not going to put up massive numbers, but it shows you that the Braves aren't going to sell and roll over and die. They're going to do what they can to to improve the, this year's club without blowing anything up and, 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 and compete this year for as much as they can. They don't have that much starting pitching, which is weird considering the thing with the Braves two, three years ago was they have all these pitching prospects. Guys like Sean Newcomb didn't necessarily pan out. Guys like Mike Soroka, who's been hurt. Guys like Max Fried, who had a great 2020 in the COVID year, but having a very disappointing 2021 429 ERA with a 133 whip. Ian Anderson uh, was a prospect that they had coming up. They were very excited about. He's been all right. He has a 356 uh, three, ERA. You know, they signed a guy like Drew Smiley, he has a 448 ERA. So the starting pitching isn't necessarily what they expected it to be, which is what has contributed to their th- uh, current third place um, spot in this division. I don't think. Going Acuna Jr. going down really kills any chance they had of making a real run at anything this year, at least in my eyes. Washington Nationals, fourth place team right now in the NL East. The lineup really isn't that bad. Trey Turner, all-star, having an incredible year. Juan Soto, all-star. Uh, Josh Harrison took a flyer, not took a flyer on him, but he's you know he's been very productive for them. Kyle Schwarber was incredible and in having one of the best months of baseball we've seen in a very long time. He gets hurt. Starlin Castro been very solid for them over the last couple of years. He's being investigated for domestic violence uh, accusations. Outside of Max Scherzer, the starting pitching is not very good. Steven Strasburg has been hurt all year. He's made five starts all year. He strained his calf in March. He went down with shoulder inflammation in April and May. He strained his neck in June. And has a 4.57 ERA and five starts. Just had another setback. And if things don't go well for the Nationals in the next three weeks, coming uh, two weeks going up to the deadline, and the next couple weeks after that, if they aren't contending, there's no reason to rush Strasburg uh, all the way back to pitch in meaningless games. Patrick Corbin has been absolutely atrocious. Max Scherzer has been Max Scherzer had another you know started the All Star game for the National League. If things don't go very well for them in the next two weeks, he could be traded at the deadline. I don't necessarily think it's it's going to happen, but it definitely could because you know they could get a lot back for him. So look out look out for the next two weeks is really going to dictate how the season ends for the Washington Nationals. The Miami Marlins are the fifth place team in the NL East, and you know outside of guys like Jesus Aguilar, who's been really good, Jazz Chisholm has been very very good. Um, Adam Duvall, the average is down, but the power numbers are up. Garrett Cooper, same thing. Average isn't necessarily crazy high. Power numbers are up. He's been very solid for the Miami Marlins. I think it's just they're very young. They're not necessarily experienced. Uh, you know, Trevor Rogers has been an incredibly bright spot on the mound for them. My favorite for NL Rookie of the Year. I just don't think in this division there's enough for them to compete right now, and they don't have the pieces to go out and uh, push for a wild card spot this year in this division, although they're only eight games out. So my final season or season final standing predictions for the NL East, I have the Mets finishing at the top. I just think the starting pitching is there. They have enough solid bats that haven't been great that if they can get a few of them back on track, um, I think that they they'll hold on to win this division. I have the Braves coming in second place in the division. I think the bats. Freeman, Albies, Riley, Swanson um, are very, very solid. I think that they'll they'll make a push for second place in that division. I have the Phillies coming in third, Nationals in fourth, and Marlins in fifth. So my division winners at the end of the year predictions, Dodgers, Mets, Brewers, 
My wild card teams are the Padres and the Giants. You'd be like, Jake, that's three teams from the NL West. Aren't they just going to beat up on each other? Is that even possible? It is possible. We've seen it before. 2013 National League wild card game was between the Pirates and the Reds. Some of you may remember it. Um, at PNC Park, the Pirates fans were giving Johnny Cueto a ridiculously hard time on the mound. He dropped the ball. They went nuts. It was a big deal. Um, the Cardinals won that division. Pirates and Reds played in the wild card game. We got three teams from the NL Central. So it is possible, and I think we see it again this year. My award predictions. Fernando, I've, I've kind of talked about all of them throughout this throughout this episode, but just all at once. NL MVP, Fernando Tatis Jr., NL Cy Young, Jacob DeGrom, NL Rookie of the Year, Trevor Rogers. So that will do it for this episode. I'm very glad to get back on track and you know go back at this again with you guys. I hope you guys enjoyed my predictions. Next week will be the American League predictions. It'll be the same type of format. We'll run through all three divisions, talk about each team's first half, what I think they need to do at the deadline, and how I can see their second half going, mixing some award predictions in there. And, you know, I'm very excited. We're going to have some more interviews coming up. And it's just, it's just you know, we're going to get back on schedule. And I hope that you guys enjoyed listening. And I'm really excited to bring you guys a new episode every week. Thank you. Thank you very much. And, you know, I'm actively looking for a co-host. If anybody knows anybody or themselves, hit me up on Twitter at Jake Dicker or at the Dugout Club underscore. Let's talk. It's much easier to do this if you're talking with somebody than talking by yourself for an hour because you can kind of play off each other and go back and forth. So if anybody has any interest in that, let me know. But other than that, thank you guys for listening and I'll catch you next week. Peace.